Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. It's great to be with you on this Tuesday evening. And we're in the boardroom tonight because we have the Chief Executive Officer of the Blue Bulls Company joining us on the show this evening, Edgar Athburn. Edgar, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi, Louis. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. So, two and a half years in, give or take a day or two, in charge of the Bulls company. How's it gone so far? Yeah, Louis, I mean, it's been a, it was obviously quite an interesting start. We started sort of right in the middle of COVID, but, but it also gave us the chance to, to do a bit of a reset. And we were sort of fortunate to get good results early on, probably a bit quicker than we expected even. And sort of rolled on from there, bit of a disappointment, obviously, in the final last year and, and had quite a good season so far. Tough two months, last two months, but players have had a bit of a break now and, and we're ready to get rolling again on Saturday. Let's just go back to uh, when you were managing director of the Ellis Park Stadium. Big job there and then obviously a great opportunity for you to take over at the Bulls. Yeah, Lou, I mean, I've, I had great great times at, at the Lions and at Emirates Airline Park. Fortunate enough to really start at a young age there in 2013 and held quite a few positions in that time. Um, but we had great successes and, and it was really a dream come true to get into sports at a young age. And then obviously got the opportunity beginning of 2020 to move to Loftus and Pretoria as a CEO. And it's something I couldn't pass on. And if I may just go back a little bit, I mean, through Somerset East to Marty, to the Bulls. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I always joke. I, I came up to do my article in Joburg in 2010, and that was actually my second time in my life I've ever been in Joburg. So that was quite a bit of an adjustment. But I actually moved to the Centurion area in 2012 already. So all the time I was working at the Lions, I was doing the commute out from Pretoria to central Joburg. So, so obviously it's a bit easier now going the other way. I mean, I go back obviously a lot longer than you do. And I, I remember interviewing uh, Dr. Louis Late. Rugby and administration has changed so dramatically since then, hasn't it? Yeah, Louis, I think it has changed, but I think the fundamentals is still the same. You know, I mean, obviously there's a lot more money floating around within professional sport and the commercialization of sports has changed. But fundamental of how you assemble your teams, not in, only in the offices, but on the field and coaching teams and, and getting the best players out there and how you treat those people, those fundamentals hasn't changed, you know, and, and that's sort of what we try and pride ourselves in at the Vodacom Bulls as to how we treat our employees. And that obviously includes players and coaches. I mentioned Doc Late. I also happen to be fortunate enough to have interviewed Doc Craven. I guess he'd be rolling in his grave right now when we hear people talking about Vodacom Bulls and sponsorship around <laughs> rugby unions. I mean, him and his dog would be just crying out for saying, what on earth has happened? Yeah, Louis, I mean, I think it's obviously, it's something that's, that's probably unique to South African rugby if you look at the European teams and it's something we've had to adjust to moving in, into European rugby. But the reality of the times is that that's the way you sort of get the business going and, and keep us on our feet, you know, with commercial partnerships. And with that is title sponsorships, you know. Um, I think in an ideal world, yes, we would, we would probably like to just be the Bulls or the Blue Bulls or Stormers or, or Sharks. But the reality is that's not a sustainable model in, in our industry, you know. And we are fortunate at, at the Vodacom Bulls. We've got unbelievable partnerships and, and that has grown substantially over the last 
two and a half to three years. Yeah, I guess that uh, through COVID, without sponsorships like you got from Vodacom and others, I mean, the reunion would have collapsed. No, 100%. I mean, I, I listened to your podcast with Heinrich the other day and he said the same thing about Hollywood bets. Yeah, the reality is without those stakeholders and shareholders, I think there would have been no professional rugby team in South Africa that would have sort of survived that period. It was hell of a tough. But as I say, the interesting thing is that the interest that the brands have attracted post-COVID, I mean, if we just look commercial values and sponsorship values, I think we, from pre-COVID numbers to now, we're up about 30%. And that has really been sort of a blessing and testament to the hard work, not only out of our offices, but what we produce on the field. Just take us through the structure, if you don't mind, from people who, who are listening to the podcast. You remember the Northern Transvaal Rugby Football Union. How does yeah. it actually work now? Are you only looking after the professional side of it, or do you look after the amateur side as well? I know you look after the women's side. Just take us through the yeah. structure. Yeah, look, so, so we are probably a bit different from some other unions or, or companies. We've got two entities here, the one being the Blue Bulls Rugby Union with the president, Willem Strauss, and they've got their own CEO in Dr. Eugene Hare. And they effectively look after all amateur rugby within the province. So all the way up to where we contract under 19 players to come to the Blue Bulls company. That is under the auspices of the union. And then the company sort of takes over from that stage and the 19s and the 21s and the 20 uh, Curry Cup, URC, EPCR, and as you rightly say, women's rugby now. It is a nice split in terms of our, our auspices and it really helps in terms of running the company that we've got such a structured and well-run union, specifically with, with two great individuals running that, that union. So it takes a lot of that sort of pressure off the company and, and off myself to focus on, on professional rugby and, and the Bulls brand itself. Professional rugby's obviously come a long way since a very famous rugby player turned around and said that this, it was being run by a bunch of old you-know-whats. It's taken a while, though, hasn't it, to turn it into a fully-fledged professional game, not just here, but worldwide. Yeah, look, and I, and I think it's it's still getting there. I mean, if you compare what we do in rugby probably to, to what football does or, or the American sports, I mean, we've, we've now seen in the, in the English Premiership rugby two clubs folding, you know. So, so fundamentally, there's still issues within professional rugby and how it's run, but it is getting there and it's finding that balance between sort of your role with community and in the commercial space of the brand and moving forward from that, you know. But yeah, I think what's helped in South Africa and over the last few years and what sort of got us through COVID is the salary cap that came in. It's brought in a bit of discipline and how companies are run. And going forward, I think, as I said, I think the commercial values are there and the revenues that we've seen increasing. So I think the future looks bright for professional rugby in South Africa. How difficult has it been for you as a union to keep players in South Africa, bearing in mind 17 to 1 the dollar and 20 something to 1 the pound and so much you know outside of our country that's enticing players to go and play in the likes of France and England and so on. Yeah, look, I think there's been fundamental changes in the English game in terms of how they categorize players and specifically South African players. So, so I think the, the English club lure has sort of gone away to a greater extent. Biggest threats in our business currently is still the French market and, and especially the Japanese market. And it is tough. It's tough to compete and that's why the environment you create for players and how you treat your players is hell of a important, you know. And having quality coaches in the setup that 
does improve the player and he feels he's evolving as a player is is unbelievably important. You know, I mean, we've over the past few years there's been net inflow of players from overseas clubs rather than outflow. So I think there's a there's a steady change in the South African environment to to players playing abroad. When you look at some of the big names that uh, you've managed to attract to the union, was it difficult? Yeah, look, it's it's always a challenge, you know. But, but again, I think your environment speaks for itself and what players hear from other players is quite important. So we're fortunate that Pretoria has always been a place that people have enjoyed staying and playing. So, yeah, again, over the past few years, I think the negotiations of bringing back players hasn't been that difficult and we've been able to sell them sort of a dream as to where we're going with this franchise and and it's it's important that we get stability in our playing squads and we've managed to do that now with players really committing long-term deals i mean most of our team has now been signed till till 2026 or 2027 which means this team will be together for five six year period and that that's really the only way you can you can create success you know um getting your average age of your squad up a number of about 27, 28 is ideal. And that's teams with that sort of portfolio that wins trophies on a regular basis and not be sort of once-off champions and then disappear for a few years again. And that's our goal, is to be competitive in all the competitions we play. And, and ultimately, obviously, we play sports to win and want to get the trophy cabinet nice and full again. Now, you say you play, obviously, to win. And of course, we all understand that. But it must be really difficult for you because you guys have got some very long-term Bulls supporters who kind of like don't really understand that sometimes you can't put the best 15 players on the field because of the longevity of a season now. How do you deal with that? Yeah, look, it's finding that balance. You know, there's agreement between us and the players' union that players won't play more than 32 games within a season. A season runs from July till June. So it's balancing that your squad, which is now a maximum of 53 players into the matches into the season. So it, it is a challenge and you sort of, you need to pick your games. And as you say, I mean, the reality is you can't win every game. And I don't think our squad is there currently where we are strong enough as a 53 or 50 man squad to win every game. But that is the process, you know, that is the process of giving guys experience in tough conditions and having them get those lessons and learning those lessons. And that will make them better players where, in a year or two or three years, you've got 50 players that have got that experience of what it'd be all across the board in different conditions and where you'll be in a better space to to get the consistency of the likes of Leinster and Crusaders and those sort of teams that, that have really got that right over the long term. One of the things that I guess you, you've done right, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that don't get me wrong, is possibly the best coach maybe outside of John Dobson, Jake White. I know the great rivalry between the two, but uh, a huge coup to get a man like him in charge of your rugby. 100%. You know, Jack Jack comes with an unbelievable uh, amount of experience, especially, again, all across the board and the global game, which is so important now for all the competitions we play in. And I recall, obviously, when we did his agreement, everybody said, yeah, it'll be one or two years and then he'll move on again. But again, I think we've created an environment where Jake feels that he's appreciated and he can and he can do his thing. And that's why we've seen him commit now till 2027, which will be his longest stint at any club all across the world, you know. And again, I mean, Jake has had instant success with the team, which again, as we, as I said earlier, it's, it's probably 
much quicker than we expected. And it's now for him to build onto the long-term success of this team and getting that base right. How's he doing, by the way? He's much better. He's back back at work, uh, looking healthy again. It was a massive scare for all of us. And that were, again, it was important for us to, to give him that time off, have him go relax a bit in Amarnas at his beach house and sort of get his thoughts together again and get that hunger back. Because obviously after a scare like that, it's a bit of a reality check for all of us, you know, as to the amount of pressure you put on yourself, worrying about uncontrollables. And now to have him back, he's revived and obviously hasn't lost that, that winning mentality, but just of a bigger perspective on life. What role does the director of rugby play at the Vodacom Bulls? So, Lou, when I started here, my first phone call to Jake was, Jake, um, you obviously know a lot more about rugby than, than I do. And I believe I, lo- I know a lot more about business than you do. So, you run the rugby part. I'll run the company and make sure we run a good show and make sure it's profitable at the end. So, Jake basically looks after all rugby-related issues within the union, uh, all the way through from under-19 through to seniors. even helps a bit on the union side in terms of amateur sports. But the reality is we run a setup where the coach picks his team. There's no sign of from a CEO or a president. And he's got full control of that. You know, uh, The reality is he spends most of the time with the team at training where he sees all the different elements and players' mindset and where they are. So it's, it's foolish for us in the, in the office seats to think we can pick sides or, or, or decide who will play in the next game because we're not there. We sit in our offices and we do the job in terms of the company, you know. So that was very important for me as a start. And I think it's part of our success. Has it been ever a difficult situation where Jake's knocked on your door and gone, Edgar, I need a, a mill because X, Y <laughs> and Z is up for grabs. And you've had to say, Jake, calm down. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, we have lots of those, you know, but it's but it's also good. I think it's, again, it's, it's planning long term, you know. So we sit regularly and say, well, these are the players that potentially comes out of contract at different periods of time. And it's trying to plan two, three years ahead as to how you want your squad to look at that at that stage. And that's our strategy as how we go into who we'll sign and, and who we'll bring in or let go in the, in the longer run, you know. So there is obviously there's things that become available as sort of ad hoc and we treat those, but it's it's always with the longer term view in mind. I guess as the CEO of the company, the last thing you would have thought was the issue with Jake's uh, illness and, and his health. And then, of course, the other major uh, story in the last six months or so, Sibun Nkosi. I mean, that must have come as a big surprise to you and obviously something that you had to be very careful and delicate in dealing with. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, the reality is you don't, you don't get a manual for a rugby CEO. So it was a trying time for us. It's treating players as individuals and not as rugby players. That's, that's hell of important. Uh, and we are fortunate that Sabu has managed to get through this, this period of time. And we feel we, we've treated him fairly in that time and, and given the support that he's needed. And, you know, he said it publicly and, and he said it to me in my office as well. He's so keen to repay that now when he's back and, and getting onto the park and giving superstar performances. Was it, do you think, a wake-up call for South African rugby, the situation that we found him in? Without a doubt. And not just rugby, I think sports in general and the mental health issues around that, you know, and the pressures that 
these youngsters are under. We've been in discussions with my players as well as private companies as to what we can implement now subsequent to this as mental health program, you know, and, and putting that in place for our players where it's it's a lot more anonymous and, and it's sort of they can do it on their own time. Because again, you get players coming in here 19, 20, 21 years old, having a lot of pressure on them. And it's sort of seen as a weakness to admit that it's getting a bit much for you, you know. So so creating avenues where they can safely talk about that and then that avenue sort of identifying players that might need more help is important for us going forward. And we would like to be the leaders in, in addressing mental health in sports players and rugby players in the country. And hopefully this program will be able to be rolled out on a greater platform going forward. Eka, do you and your counterparts at the other franchises meet regularly and discuss things like this and perhaps take forward ideas to the South African rugby management, obviously, who look after the Springboks, who ultimately the players belong to the franchises as well as to the Springboks? Yeah, yeah so we meet regularly, specifically through the body of Soreo, which is the employees' organization of South African rugby. So we do discuss these issues and important issues on, on quite a regular basis. And there is recommendations that do go to SRA. And I think, again, that working relationship between Soraya, the companies, the unions, and SA Rugby is what pulled us through the COVID period, you know, where, where we all stood together and obviously everybody took salary cuts and it was painful. But, but if it wasn't for that, then, then the reality is we wouldn't have been here, you know. So if all those entities need to pull in the same direction and that's why it's important the work that is done there as well. I mentioned it uh, very briefly earlier on. Let's talk about women's rugby and in particular the Bulls, uh, Vodacom Bulls women's rugby team. How's it going? So it's obviously still in its infancy. You know, we it's an idea we started talking about beginning of last year and, and we said, listen, there's an opportunity here to be the leaders in this going forward and really professionalizing women's rugby in, in this country. I think if you've seen what cash injection and the attention of a momentum into the women's game was when women's cricket was probably not at the forefront and where they are now just shows you that that sort of individual investment is needed. So so we were fortunate that we got the balls rolling on that. And then Chanda Manana joined us in July. Unbelievable rugby administrator with a passion for women's sports and women's rugby. And then it just really picked up momentum. And, and I foresee a great future for women's rugby in this country. I know the performances of the Springbok team, obviously, in the World Cup wasn't ideal. But that just, again, shows us greater focus needs to be on sport. Us as unions or provinces role to develop these players, make them better players, get them into a high performance environment where they are professional sportswomen. Uh, and that's what we seek to create. And again, the commercial interest around it has been astonishing for me. I mean, I didn't foresee it to be that big as a start. And obviously having the backing of our shareholders saying that, listen, this is the right thing to do and, and we need to empower women to, to play rugby is, has put us in a position now where We've managed to contract 35 women into our professional team. And a lot of them is involved in the national setup, which will again create an environment where these ladies play together on a regular basis, which will make the South African team so much stronger. I have to commend the women's game. I mean, I watched in the World Cup, one of the best games of rugby I've seen in a long time was the England All Black game. Yes. The intensity was incredible. I mean, we've obviously got a long way to get to that level. But if we strive yeah. to get to that level, the game can only get better if the likes of South Africa and England and New Zealand and Australia, just like in the men's game, are as competitive as each other. It should be fantastic. 
100%. Yeah. But the interesting thing was to look at their structures and look at, at what they're doing there, specifically around the clubs and the RFU. And we were pleasantly surprised to see that, that what we've implemented here is on par, if not better, than what they currently have in place. So the reality is we've got talented ladies in this country that in, that can participate in all sports. And it's now the priority to get the best athletes into the game of rugby. And that's, again, why it's important that the remuneration going to these ladies needs to be on par with other sports. And from what we've seen and the research we've done is is that our ladies' players are probably getting better paid than, than, than some of the other professional women's sports that have been professional for a much longer time. And unless we can get where we are now, where they play full-time rugby, it's not really going to improve, you know. So, so that's, that's, that needs to be the priority across the country and hopefully some other provinces can follow and we can provide a blueprint as to how to do it going forward. Let's get back onto the field. The Vodacom Bulls have got a bit of a test coming up on Saturday. You host the Stormers. Uh, you've been beaten by them a few times in the last couple of matches, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough uh, sort of 12 months against them. Um, they came back late in the game at Loftus about a year ago and, and beat us. And and then subsequently we've had to play three games in Cape Town Stadium and, and came up second in all of those. So, and obviously the final was one of those. So it's it's something that's it's definitely been in the back of our minds of, of our players. And it's something I know they're looking forward to, to this weekend. And the good thing is, uh, from what I can see on ticket sales, it's, it will be a, a massive crowd at Loftus, which, which will definitely help. And I think it's safe to say that North-South rivalry is well and truly alive again, which is fantastic for South African rugby. I'm so glad to hear you saying the ticket sales are going really well. And I'm sure they are still available for people that are listening to pick up their tickets. Because the stadiums outside of Cape Town Stadium for the last couple of years have not been as full as we want them, have they? No, no, it hasn't been, and, and it is a concern. I think, obviously, with the amount of rugby that's being played, I think fans are, are sort of nitpicking games, which which is fair and their prerogative. And it, and it's also, I mean, it's in South African sports, super sport, the product they put out there is unbelievable. And with back-to-back picturing, et cetera, it's, it's, it's sort of much easier to go and sit on your couch and have a bra and have your friends over and watch it from your home. And that's why it's been sort of a priority on our side to create something different at the stadium that gives you a bit of a different experience as to what you can experience at home and hopefully to then add more, more fans back to the stadium. I must say, the bigger games for us in terms of the URC from last year when we were allowed to open up the stadium again has been really well attended, going up on numbers from previous Super Rugby's. So I think there is an upward trend, but there's still a lot of work for us to be done on it. You must be caught between a rock and a hard place because, as you quite rightly say, I mean, watching it on television these days with, I don't know, 40 cameras and 15 replays and slow in the warmth or in the cool of your lounge must make it very difficult for you guys as, as administrators to bring the crowds in. Yeah, 100%. But again, that's where the experience of live sports still needs to to be elevated as to what we do, not only in the bowl, but, uh, but around the stadium and giving sort of breaking down the barrier to entry to stadiums, you know. So once you, you're sitting in front of your computer and, and looking at the weekend's fixtures, just making that decision making of how you get to the stadium, how you get to your seat, where you sit, how you're going to get a beer, how you're going to get something to eat and how you're going to get back home, making yeah. that journey a lot easier for you and making, like I said, breaking down that barrier 
between decision making of coming to a stadium or not. Okay, so I have to say thank you for you allowing the weather gods to soften that concrete Loftus Fasfeld Stadium over the last couple of weeks to make it a bit easier <laughs> for the stormers, would you say? Look, I mean, the reality is it's still altitude here. Uh, the weather won't change that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the challenge will still be there. And like I said, if we're going to have 35, 40,000 faithful bull supporters in Loftus, it's still an unbelievable stadium to come play in. And it is still unbelievably intimidating, I believe, for, for visiting team. And obviously we owe them one. So hopefully, hopefully we can get one over them this weekend. Isn't it great, Edgar, that the game has become so professional, yet the fans are just the same? We have it in our blood. We support our teams, whether they were Northern Transvaal, then the Bulls, then the Vodacom Bulls, Western Province, and then the Stormers and the DHL Stormers. At the end of the day, we as fans are still so passionate about the game. 100%. And that's something we must never forget. And when we try and go into new markets with our brand and our team, not only the Bulls, but overall, it's important that you don't lose that in terms of what that traditional fan sort of culture and the passion around that, you know. I mean, we always joke about the guys at Loftus with the nose rings and the horns on the head. But the reality is that. That's what makes it special. And that's what gets other fans to come to the stadium and embrace the stadium. You know, if you look at the greatest sporting teams around the world, there's certain elements that is so associated with them. You can't separate the two, but it attracts people who want to experience that and, and see it in real life. So it's a fine balancing act between keeping those traditional fans interested and involved and attracting new fans in the end. Last question, and I really, this is tongue in cheek. I'm just throwing it out there. Have you, you had a chat with SA Tourism to get some of that billion rand and put come visit Pretoria <laughs> on the Bull Bull shirt? 100%. Uh, we, we actually had a meeting between, <laughs> between all the CEOs the other day. We said, listen, I mean, between all of us, I think we, we've got more than enough use for that, for that billion rand. But yeah, Louis, I must, I must be honest. It's something that, that I think a lot more could, could be done on local government level as well as national government level, level in supporting these, the, the local teams. It's, it's luckily something that in terms of Gauteng sports are really keen to get involved in our women's project, which is, it's fantastic for us. And it's hopefully something that we can build on going forward with that relationship. You know, the reality is if we host a test match, for instance, at Loftus, the economic impact on the city of Tuani is around 350 million rand, direct and indirect. Over a long period of time with pools games, I mean, you can imagine those numbers. So it's important for the cities all around the country that these stadiums and these teams stay in those cities and stay viable and the stadiums get upkept because without them, the city loses a lot of revenue. We've obviously seen what's now happened in Bloemfontein with the cricket team and to a, a lesser extent, the cheaters. It'll be a hell of a sad story if, if those teams were to to dis- disappear from, from Bloemfontein or, or play in other places, you know, because it's the lifeblood of these cities. Same with Alice Park. If, if Alice Park isn't situated in the inner city Joburg, what would happen of with that area, you know, and it's important that cities realize, governments realize what an impact big stadiums and big teams have on cities. Edgar, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Chief Executive Officer of the Blue Bulls Company. All the best for the weekend. I know where my support is going, even though it's from a long way away this weekend. I'll be watching it. And thank you so much. It's great to have a guy like yourself and Jacques involved at the 
cricket uh, centurion knowing that our sports going forward is in excellent hands thank you for your time thanks so much lou it was great chatting to you all the best lovely stuff that's tonight's edition of from the boardroom to the locker room whether you love them or hate them the bulls are always going to be up there whether they're playing the stormers the sharks the lions or any other teams from the rest of uh, the uh, United Rugby Championship. It's great to see us playing international rugby at the highest level. That's tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. We will be back with more and obviously getting hold of some more of the uh, guys who are in charge of our rugby in the various franchises, whether it be cricket or rugby or any other sport that there is because ultimately we're all fans aren't we that's tonight's show have yourself a pleasant evening and as always be nice to each other bye-bye